Our Good Friday meditation will reflect on sorrow and joy, and we're going to use the um, Old Testament reading from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6, and then uh, the Gospel of John 16, uh, verses 20 and 22. Isaiah chapter 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the second reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Verse 22. So, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So our reflection is on sorrow and joy. The difference between happiness and deep sustaining joy is sorrow. Happiness goes when sorrow comes. Sorrow kills happiness. Happiness is quenched by pain. Brokenness and happiness don't mix. Joy, on the other hand, rises from sorrow. It can withstand grief. In Christ, our brokenness is transformed into joy through a journey of endurance which develops Christ-like character and a Christ-centered hope explodes into joy which can't be compared with happiness. Joy does not disappoint us. On Good Friday, as we allow ourselves to return to the agony and sorrows of Jesus the Christ, we are truly preparing for unspeakable joy, Easter joy. Easter Sunday must have a Good Friday. Resurrection must have a death. And because it is Jesus of Nazareth, we are talking about Good Friday's death must have the proof of the pierced side and the water and the blood of a ruptured heart. An unbelievable resurrection had to have an absolute believable death because it was our Lord Jesus, Good Friday's death, had to have a tomb sealed and guarded. And because we love him so dearly and because we are broken and bereft at his death on Good Friday, our joy may be full to overflowing. If there's one thing I could ask on Good Friday, like he said in John 16, verse 24, it is that the morning could turn into dancing, that my joy could be full. He told us it would be so. In John 15, 11, he said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He told us in John 16, 20, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Sunday completes our joy because we allowed Friday to be awful sorrow. Good Friday is good preparation for joy. So thinking about 
Secondly, the realization of a sorrow. That little section was preparation for joy. The realization for sorrow. The Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago was crucified, died, and buried. Humanly speaking, that was the end of the story. But the sin he bore for us and the death he died for us could not hold him forever. And on Easter Sunday, he rose from the tomb. Notice that Jesus' words on the Thursday night, recorded in John 16, 20, spoke of weeping and sorrow, sorrow that turns to joy. Hear it again. Truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and no one will take your joy from you. Easter Sunday and their sorrow turned into joy. That's what the resurrection does. If Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive today. I can know him today and can introduce others to him. But there's something here that we could so easily miss. We hear sermons about sins forgiven on the cross, about by his stripes we're healed, about being reconciled with God through Jesus' death on the cross. But the joy the friends that G of Jesus experienced on the first Easter Sunday began with anguish as a starting place, a place of absolute loss, of bereavement, bewilderment, a life ending. Good Friday for the personal friends of Jesus in AD 33 was heartbreaking, soul-destroying, realization of sorrow. Imagine someone you have loved and supported with friendship and meals. Uh, on Friday, your friend is taken, beaten, mocked, spat on, stripped, whipped, and sentenced to death by crucifixion. Jesus the person you have loved and followed for the last three years was punished in this way for crimes he never did. And on Friday, Good Friday, he died. And Saturday would be the longest, saddest day of your life because the Jesus you know and love has died. This is the realization of sorrow. Notice Mary's intensely personal longing for Jesus in John 20, verse 13. They have taken my Lord. Her whole world is hollow from sunset on Friday throughout all of Saturday and sunrise on Sunday. Her heart was breaking because the end of Jesus is the end of everything for her. For Mary and the disciples, life will be nothing after AD 33, without the one they called Hosanna, Saviour, on Palm Sunday, who died on Friday. Can you imagine the grief of those friends on that first Easter? For a moment, become one of the first disciples. Consider what makes the resurrection appearance of the Lord such joy for you. In every fibre of your being, how is it? that so durable a joy blossoms from this seed dying. It's 
a joy that will survive threats and dangers and persecutions, confusions and death, and even your own death, if you can imagine yourself on that first Friday. So what causes this joy? Not that he died on the cross, but that you grieved his death. For three days, imagining myself as one of the first followers, for three days I grieved his absence. When the world was carrying on, business as usual, I blackened the pictures and stripped the altar and refused to say the Gloria, despite his foretelling and his promises, Good Friday and the Saturday seemed to go on forever because it was the end of the new world as we had come to know it in AD 33. The end of the Lord Jesus was the end of my life. And in grief, if you go to the tomb, the darkness of death was everywhere and into that anguish and sorrow. My dear Lord Jesus appears. What a shock. Amazing. Astonished. A truth-affirming, living presence of the Lord Jesus here and now. From the abject sorrow rises absolute joy unspeakable. The experience of grief prepared me for joy. What joy indeed. Jesus was dead and is now alive. It's speechless astonishment. This is joy. The disciples approached the resurrection from the left-hand side, as it were, from the depths of bereavement. Today, in our 21st century, we return to the resurrection from a place of knowing. The stone was rolled away. The gardener spoke her name, Mary. She knew it was Jesus. Peter and John ran to the tomb, found it empty, and the shroud folded where he lay. But the AD 33 resurrection comes through a lens of horror, suffering, the cross, and death, and absence of Christ. An amazing preparation as the vigilantes arrive at the tomb, saturated with love for their Lord who was deceased. Imagine it. Listen again to our Lord's promise in John 16, 22. Because the weeping was so great, how great will be your rejoicing. So let me conclude by jumping forward to Easter Sunday. John 20, verse 1, early on Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. She ran to Peter and John. They ran to the tomb and looked in. And Jesus' burial clothes were lying. Can you imagine their rejoicing? After the grief and sadness of Friday and Saturday, Jesus had kept the hardest of all his promises. He rose from the dead as he said he would. Therefore, he will keep all the other promises my salvation, your salvation, the promised Holy Spirit would come and indeed our own resurrection. 
that also completes our joy. And if we allow ourselves to grieve at his death and to grieve because it was our sin and shame that made his death necessary, if we experience the sorrow, we will rejoice and worship because of the resurrection. What joy, because he is not dead. He is risen.